This is Melange à deux, a Vienna podcast. Herzlich willkommen. Hi, everybody. This is Frau Batsby with... Her ex. And you're listening to Melange à deux, a Vienna podcast? Yes. Yes. And this is part two of our uh, Maximilian <laughs> from Emperor to Mexicuted. This is about uh, Emperor Max of Mexico, a Habsburg guy. I've been definitely getting good feedback on the, the episode. People are really liking it. Yeah, it's a crazy story. Uh, if people want to know about sources, they're in part one. Mm -hmm. And so you can always go, this is episode 15, episode 14 is part one. Okay. And uh, yeah, for new listeners, because I think we're getting some new listeners um, <laughs> somehow, <laughs> we have some new listeners. Uh, the concept of this podcast is that we're both expatriates living in Vienna, Austria, I've lived here for close to 24 years in Vienna, Austria, and you have... Six and change. Six and change. So pretty much the idea is that I tell you all about somebody famous who's Austrian or a thing that's Austrian, and you go, oh my God, that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's usually like how all of our conversations go. <laughs> What? Really? Yeah. We're like today on Reddit. <laughs> <laughs> today um, you have a doctor's appointment. Really? Really amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah. So we've been listened to in 31 countries now. Wow. We're practically Taylor Swift. Yeah. Or Nickelback. Without the private jet. Without the private jet. Uh, goals. <laughs> And uh, somebody listened to us in Alabama. Do you know anybody in Alabama? I don't know. Maybe maybe they thought we were going to talk about in vitro. He <laughs> <laughs> said Vienna. V-I. Yeah, it could be. So I thought that was pretty cool. Thanks again, everybody, for listening. Also, uh, you can check out our Instagram, Frau Batsby. Uh, that will have pictures of the different people we talk about. And you can always check out my books on Amazon.com under the name Tova Mar. And uh, yeah, that's my self-promotion for the day. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Uh, tonight, we are going on a date night. It's been a while. Yeah. It's always a good thing. It's always a good thing. We're going to Der Fuchs and Undi Trauben, which is a restaurant owned by an old school friend of mine. See, even with my limited German, I know that's the fox and the grapes. Because I told you that a million times. So I finally looked up the fable. <laughs> no, I self-learned it. Yeah. No. <laughs> so every time you ask me about the, ty or the name of the restaurant, I'm like, it's an Aesop uh, fable. And yeah. then you go, okay. And then I just kind of nod, like I know and I don't know. I didn't know, really. So I looked it up. Yeah. You want to finally know the fable? Yes, I would like to know. the fox and the grapes? Yeah. Okay. Because those two things normally, when I think fox, I think grapes. Yeah. Yeah. Always. So this is from read.gov, and it's just a short little story. A fox one day spied a beautiful bunch of ripe grapes hanging from a vine, trained along the branches of a tree. The grapes seemed ready to burst with juice, and the fox's mouth watered as he gazed longingly at them. The bunch hung from a high branch, and the fox had to jump for it. The first time he jumped, he missed it by a long way. So he walked off a short distance and took a running leap at it, only to fall short once more. Again and again, he tried, but in vain. Now he sat down and looked at the grapes in disgust. What a fool I am, he said. Here I am, wearing myself out to get a bunch of sour grapes that are not worth gaping for. And off he walked very, very scornfully. So the moral of the story... There are many who pretend to despise and belittle that which is beyond their reach. This is the term sour grapes. Ah, that's where sour grapes yeah. comes from. Ah. Yeah, cool, huh? Oh, the number of times that's happened to me, I didn't want it anyway. Yeah. 
it's like the nice guy trope. Like, yeah, I'm not, you're my friend. You're ugly anyway. So I thought that was amazing. I, I can't believe I took this long to look it up many, many years later. Yeah. Um, you know that's going to come up. Somebody would be like, sour grapes. Well, did, well, you, did know? you know? that they it's a table. Yeah, I'm very excited. Well, you know why I had to look it up? Because we were interviewed on uh, NPR this yeah. week. I don't know when that's coming out. It's not about the podcast. No. <laughs> um, and I'm not NPR material. You are. Well, because I've, I'm, I've been trained on listening through, uh, to Ira Glass and uh, all the NPR people. Yeah, I just watch a lot of Bravo. No, but I think, I think you did great. You did well. Okay, well, right at the beginning, when you were talking about the placement of the microphone, you said six to eight inches, and I went... <laughs> <laughs> so, thanks for interviewing us, NPR. <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty sure that's not making it to the, uh, the final cut. Oh, God, I hope not. Uh, oh, also... <laughs> Uh, you found out the etymology of Shanigaten, yes. which means an outside eating space or sitting space at a restaurant in Vienna. What does it mean? Well, uh, the the jury is out, but one of the more common or the most popular ones is that there was a guy named Gianni, and he made an outdoor garden. He was obviously an Italian who was living in Vienna, and then they called those you know Gianni gardens, and then they became. They try to Yiddish it up. <laughs> Shani. Germanized to Shani Garten. I but, that was uh, true. but they're not sure, right? That's a. Theory. Yeah, that's just. Uh, uh, this is based on Wikipedia, so take it uh, okay, with a grain of salt. Wikipedia has helped me a lot <laughs> these last few months. It's not crap on Wikipedia. Um, yeah, so I thought that was pretty cool. And also, we talked about in last episode about. Max's wife, Charlotte, her father being Leopold of Belgium. Yes. And your boss confirmed that that was the Leopold we were yes. thinking about. So, gee, not great. Uh, we're, okay, I guess we'll get started because there's some stuff to get through. Last we left off, the last part was that a papal representative had come to Mexico and tried to convince Max to make it fully uh, Catholic. But Max, of course, believes in freedom of religion so the representative relayed this, this to the Pope. The Pope was mad, and so I call it a papal smear. <laughs> I just pap smear for short. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, so Max is in Mexico. His nemesis, Juarez, who I talked about last time, is kind of working off camera, planning mm -hmm. a comeback. <laughs> um, we'll talk a little bit about Max's rule for when he first came to Mexico. So, quote... During his short reign, Maximilian issued eight volumes of laws covering all aspects of government, including forest management, railroads, roads, canals, postal services, telegraphs, mining, and immigration, most of which were never implemented. The emperor issued laws guaranteeing Mexicans equality before the law and freedom of speech, and laws meant to defend the rights of laborers, especially that of the natives. Maximilian attempted to implement a law guaranteeing the natives a living wage and outlawing corporal punishment for them, along with limiting their inheritance of debts. Close quote. <laughs> so, landowners who brought him there, very happy, I'm sure. Thrilled. Like, wait, wait, we thought you were a monarch, <laughs> not a hippie. <laughs> I mean, that's incredibly progressive. Yeah. It's wild. Well, as you said, right? He wanted to be uh, emperor of Mexico only if, like, the people really wanted him. Mm -hmm. And he really wanted to be a, he was a populist, I guess, monarch, um, which is funny because. Uh, Juarez, who was his uh, nemesis, I would guess, yes. or the, on the other side, I'm, I'm assuming he's like, wait, that's all my stuff. You yeah, know? I think so. And also, yeah. I mean, the, it was also, they didn't want the French. Max was supported by the French. Yeah. And I think 
it was kind of a surprise for the French that here comes this guy with all these liberal reforms when they were like, no, no, no we need to crush yeah. Mexico. Well, they wanted the money back. Has yeah. he been repaying the money? Uh, not yet. Not yet. I don't think at all. Okay. So another quote. Uh, A national system of free schools was also planned based on the German gymnasia, and the emperor founded an academy of sciences and literature. Laws were published in Spanish and Nahuatl, the Aztec language, which had the largest number of indigenous speakers. Maximilian appointed the indigenous scholar Faustina Galicia as an advisor to his government. Galicia would also be named president of the Council for the Protection of the Impoverished. Mm. Close quote. So have you guys had a woman president yet? No. A Native American president? No. <laughs> but, you know, it's uh, still an experiment, you know? Yeah, it's new. Yeah, it's still fairly new. Yeah, this guy literally was here for a few months. I was like, let me get this guy. No, it's, uh, it's uh, pretty amazing. All right, so now let's talk about what's going on. This is post Cinco de Mayo. So, quote, the French victory was itself short-lived, lasting only three years, from 1864 to 1867. By 1865, with the American Civil War now over, the U.S. began to provide more political and military assistance to Mexico to expel the French. Mm. Upon the conclusion of the American Civil War, Napoleon III, facing a persistent Mexican guerrilla resistance, the threat of war with Prussia, and the prospect of a serious scrap with the United States, retreated from Mexico starting in 1866. The Mexicans recaptured Mexico City. Wait, so the French really went far uh, deep in there. Mm -hmm. Because I thought that they were repelled at Veracruz. And then I think they came came back. back, Yeah. Okay. Uh, Another quote. In April 1865, the American Civil War ended, and while the American government was reluctant to enter upon a conflict with France to enforce the Monroe Doctrine, official American sympathy remained with President Benito Juarez. The U.S. government refused to recognize the empire and also ignored Maximilian's correspondence. The Monroe Doctrine has to be my favorite uh, presidential doctrine ever. Marilyn? Why don't you tell me about it? <laughs> Not Marilyn Monroe, <laughs> but Monroe, Monroe Doctrine was essentially, I, I, if I were to summarize it, it basically said the Western Hemisphere is ours. <laughs> Do not <laughs> hint, hint to Europe. Don't come here. Okay. You know, like this is, this is our domain, mm-hmm. which I just thought it's interesting. Like, I mean, I mean, those are maybe private thoughts, but uh, you put it on paper, I guess, just so that everyone knows. Yeah. But it's just inside thoughts. <laughs> but it's, it's a very interesting doctrine. It's just like, this is our hemisphere. Please leave us alone. And then they're like, but it doesn't count. No, like the other way. There's no Uno reverse card. Nobody else interferes in, in other <laughs> countries except us. us exactly. Yeah. Um, so as I said, uh, the U.S. government was getting correspondence from Max, but they were like, no, we didn't get your email. So at this time, Max is officially like, uh, because the, the, the Mexican Civil War already happened. Mm-hmm. And then now, is it that Juarez is like, he's ruling a certain area of Mexico? Yes, so he's in one part. I think he's in, was it Veracruz? Uh, okay. So he's in that area and he's gaining more momentum and he's getting U.S. backing now. Okay. Because the U.S. doesn't want France to so be it's, so it's close. A, it's a non-violent kind of civil war in the sense that like there's still a split in the country. There's a split, yeah. Okay. Um, so yes. So in December... In December, uh, I guess it's 1865, a $30 million private American loan was approved for Juarez, and American volunteers kept joining the Mexican Republican troops. An official American raid occurred near Brownsville, and Juarez's minister of the United States, Matias Romero, proposed that General Grant or General Sherman intervene. Oh, proposed that General Grant. I thought it was like a grant, like a scholarship. <laughs> Sorry. Ulysses <laughs> Grant. That General Grant or General Sherman intervene in Mexico to help the liberals. 
The prospect of an American invasion to reinstate Juarez caused a number of Maximilian's loyal adherents to abandon his cause and leave the capital. The United States refrained from direct military intervention, but continued to put diplomatic pressure on France to leave Mexico. Hmm. Diplomatic pressure. (laughs) (laughs) We will not buy your brie. (laughs) Buy your brie, exactly. Um, Call it freedom fries. Freedom fries. (laughs) So another quote. uh, A concentration of French troops in the northern Republican strongholds of Mexico only led to a surge of Republican guerrilla activity in the south. While French troops controlled major cities, guerrillas continued to be a major military threat in the countryside. In an effort to combat the increasing violence and in a belief that Juarez had left Mexico, Maximilian in October signed a decree authorizing the court-martial and execution of anyone found either aiding or participating with the guerrillas. Mm. The harsh measure resembled the 1862 measure by Juarez, but it proved to be widely reviled, being branded the Black Decree. It contributed to the growing unpopularity of the empire. It is calculated that more than 11,000 Juarez supporters were executed as a result of the decree. Close quote. It's, that's not the best thing. Yeah. No, that's... Uh, un- Doesn't help your popularity that much. Uh, no. And, I mean, I think it's just desperation at this point. Yeah. And, you know, and I think Max truly thought that he had been placed there because he was wanted. And I think it's just, you know... So it's interesting. If the U.S. never intervened on behalf of Juarez, uh, would he have, like, stuck around and uh, implemented his reforms? And then everyone would be like, you know... I, uh, <laughs> it's funny how, how history works. but yeah, yeah, I mean, you could have had a very Germanic Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> it's been fascinating. Um, schnitzel. Oh, by the way, I also learned that uh, Norteño music, which is this music that sounds very uh, Bavarian slash Austrian, mm-hmm. existed in Mexico before Maximilian showed up because there were a lot of German immigrants that showed up mm-hmm. in northern Mexico. It was the 1830s, I think you 1830s, said. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, because after we ended the... First podcast episode, you made me listen to it. Yeah, Norteño, I made you listen to it. Like, <laughs> I, I held you down in the chair. You were going to finish felt a little song. bit like that. Not a huge fan of polka. No, it's great. <laughs> like, wait, 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 wait till we get to the good part. I was like, there is no good part. Well, there are great YouTube videos where you could see the, it's direct similarity. Yeah, it, uh, it's actually pretty fascinating yeah. to see. I was I'm just, yeah. <laughs> I felt trapped. Um, so back to it. <laughs> <laughs> so back to a quote in January 1866 seeing the war as unwinnable and the cost of keeping troops there a financial drain Napoleon III declared to the French corps that's oh, you know what legislative <laughs> <laughs> It sounds like Porky Pig. <laughs> no, because uh, I should go back to studying French. Uh, so this legislative just call. don't don't pronounce the last five letters. Then <laughs> uh, that he intended to withdraw the French military from Mexico. Maximilian's request for more aid or at least a delay in troop withdrawals was declined. Uh, October 1866, the writing is on the wall. Maximilian moves his cabinet to Orizaba. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. And there are rumors that he is going to flee Mexico. Oh. Because he has no more French support. But they don't know Max. (laughs) Mama didn't raise no quitter. Because remember his mom is Sophie. Yeah, she definitely did not raise any quitters. Um, At this point, abdication was suggested. And then, quote, on 25 November... uh, a council was held with his ministers to address the crisis faced by his government. So wait a minute. The French withdrew their support under U.S. pressure. Pretty much, yeah. But what was the U.S. pressure? Did they go into detail? And I don't know what the pressure was, but I pretty oh, okay. much it was like... Hey. Hey. 
<laughs> I think they were probably also sending a lot of troops, and there were probably a lot of mercenaries, as there always are. I mean, I found out there was, like, Irish soldiers fighting in the Civil War. Yes. Which is madness. It's fascinating. Um, well, the, the Irish at the time were going anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> hey, sounds <laughs> great. A fam- a, probably the potato famine was happening at that time? Or, in the 1860s? Or was it early 1900s? Maybe it was, the 18, I know, it was earlier yeah. than that, I think. I don't know. I mean, I oh, was yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I was very confused by the potato famine because I was like, is it because they don't have enough potatoes? <laughs> <laughs> or there are no potatoes? <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, listen, if you've had Irish food, you realize potatoes is a main staple. Yeah, I mean, it's a big part of my DNA makeup, and I'm just not a huge potato fan. I know, it's horrific. Um, yeah, so when I said that, it, you know, mama didn't raise no quitter, uh, Max was starting to believe it, that abdication was probably going to be the, the best route. And so they, his ministers actually voted against uh, his abdication, and Max was sent back to Mexico City. Okay. There's a so, second... So sorry. he was attempting to flee. Eventually he decided. Like, okay. So at first he was like, no, I'm not going to flee. They moved to a different city, right. and then um, it became very clear that the writing was on the wall. It probably wouldn't win. Yeah. So he met with his ministers, and they all were like, no, you should stay. <laughs> and he was probably like, yay. <laughs> and then there's a second attempt at abdication. Quote, as the French forces withdrew, Maximilian tried to abdicate on several occasions before being dissuaded, first by his wife and then by his few remaining supporters. Close quote. So his wife, uh-huh. Carlotta, said, quote, she said only a coward would abdicate. <laughs> and, quote, as long as there's six feet of the empire, if you're here, dead or alive, there's still an empire. And then she left to Europe to get help. <laughs> <laughs> My parting words are this. <laughs> Don't be a coward. I'm going to go. You hold down the fort. Let me know if you need anything from Europe. <laughs> But I think she was going to Europe to to convince Napoleon to like, yeah yeah come she back. could have written a letter <laughs> she could have sent a pigeon <laughs> you know that she was like there's sales I'm gonna go to Paris Paris is quite nice now. Yeah. so things were it's not the, la belle époque I guess at that time no uh not yet no 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 that was, was it later. 1880s 1890s I think so yeah. yeah. Again, I don't want to get an email. It's my, my Midnight in Paris reference. So. Oh, it's a good film. Yeah. Problematic director, but a great film. Uh, so th- she heads to Europe. So things were not going well, and this pushed Charlotte to first head to Paris to talk to Napoleon III to help out. News of her being in France arrived to Franz Josef in Vienna, and he was in the midst of his own issues. And I'm kind of prior- paraphrasing, but he pretty much said, oh, God, she better not come here and ask me for something. <laughs> Royal families, they're just like us. <laughs> Can you imagine? Sister-in-law shows up, he's like, oh God, oh God, don't come here. <laughs> We're on vacation. Um, also, no one in Austria truly believed that it was so dire because Max's letters were always very upbeat. <laughs> <laughs> Things are great here. Amazing. And it took six to eight weeks for letters to come to Austria. And he's an optimist. Like, yeah. I, you know, they didn't realize that it was changing so quickly. Charlotte also heads to Rome afterwards, once France says no, uh, to ask the Pope for help, but she's ignored. Yeah. Well, because also he didn't make it Catholic, so he no. kind of burned bridges. He, he made a lot of enemies. Yeah. So already Juarez, because you would think if he didn't go, if he didn't kill all those uh, guerrilla troops, you know, for being Juarez sympathizers, you know, like Juarez probably would have said, hey, let's do some... I know, power sharing agreement? I doubt it. <laughs> yeah, that works at all the time. Well, I'll talk a little but bit. But he would have been allowed to leave, I think, uh, you know. 
yeah, I think so. I mean, we'll talk about that in a second, but uh, yeah, so Charlotte goes to Rome. Max still thinks that he can talk to the Mexican people. Uh, he thinks, like, we can have a vote, <laughs> can figure this out. Quote, he intended to appeal to the nation in order to hold a national assembly, which then would decide, sorry, which would then decide what form of government the Mexican nation was to take. Such a measure would require a ceasefire from Juarez, who had no intention of conceding to someone whom he viewed as the puppet of the French invaders, mm. close quote. So he tried to kind of broker some peace, but yeah. Juarez was like, no. Quote, as the National Assembly project fell through, Maximilian decided to focus on military operations. And in February 1867, as the last of the French troops were leaving, the emperor headed for the city of Carretaro to join the bulk of his Mexican troops, numbering about 10,000 men. The liberal generals Escobedo and Corona converged on Carretaro, besieging it with 40,000 men. And yet the city held out. In the face of an increasing number of Republican troops, however, on 11 May, Maximilian resolved to attempt an escape through the enemy lines and make a break for the coast. This plan was sabotaged by Colonel Miguel Lopez, who had come to an agreement with Republican General Escobedo to open the gate to the Republican forces. Lopez appears to have assumed that Maximilian would be allowed to escape. Mm. Wrong. (laughs) (laughs) So, quote, the city fell on 15 May 1867 and Maximilian was captured the next morning after a failed attempt to escape through Republican lines by a loyal Husser cavalry brigade led by Felix Samsam. Maximilian was captured along with his generals Maia and Miramon. Hmm. So he's captured and jailed. So during this time, quote, a number of the crowned heads of Europe and other prominent figures, including the eminent liberals Victor Hugo and Giuseppe Garibaldi Hmm. of Italy, sent telegrams and letters to Mexico requesting that the emperor's life be spared. So there were liberals who thought Max was not a bad dude, and they were kind of saying, like, just just let him go. go, Kick him out, let him go. Um, more of the quote although he respected Maximilian on a personal level Juarez refused to commute the sentence because he believed it was necessary to send a message that Mexico would not tolerate any more foreign invasions yeah, it makes okay. sense but, uh, I was like, they know <laughs> I think they got the message they got the message I thought, like, <laughs> just open the door I will leave and I will be like never ever go to Mexico <laughs> <laughs> if I were back so listen I would go all around Europe and I would tell them don't mess with Mexico <laughs> yeah, yeah slap me leave a mark and I will show them you're very very serious <laughs> I mean, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, no, but at, at that point, it's a political message. Of, of course. I mean, you yeah. can't, you can't be <laughs> tough on crime. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? You're Jack into Vega? You're just going <laughs> to... You're just going to waltz out of here? Call back. Okay. <laughs> so another quote. Felix Sansom, a Prussian military officer of princely birth and a soldier of fortune, that's the Hussar guy, and his wife devised a plan to allow Maximilian to escape execution by bribing his jailers. However, Maximilian would not go through with the plan unless Generals Miramon and Maia could accompany him. <laughs> Bribing your jailers? What do you think, you're El Chapo? <laughs> yeah, I know. What that, is this? That won't happen for another you know, <laughs> hundred and some odd years. <laughs> um, yeah, so he said he wouldn't go through with it unless the two generals who had helped him accompany him. And because he felt that shaving his beard to avoid rec- recognition would undermine his dignity if he were to be recaptured. <laughs> hey, listen. You Once love your attached- beards. <laughs> yeah. Listen, it's it's my look. Yeah, he's like, I grew this out for years. <laughs> Shave the beard. Shave the beard. Listen, you know. I'd wear Crocs to escape. That's how much I value my life. <laughs> hey, um, every man's got a code. 
and beards, you know, it's, a, it's an important thing. I just think it's really funny that they had to add in the beard thing. Like, he was being very noble by, like, saying, I'm not leaving unless I can take these two buddies with me. But then yeah. they have to throw in the beard thing. I think that's a little unfair. What do you mean? That's a, it's not. It's, it's a strong statement. He's sending a statement, too. He's like, listen, I'll die on my own terms. Yeah. I'd rather just die in my sleep when I'm 94. <laughs> Plus, you know, you don't know how the beard's going to grow back. It's... <sighs> it takes a long time. It's a very impressive he beard. He can grow it out when he's back in Austria. It's not a big deal. Was it a full beard or was it sideburns? I was, I think, a full beard. Full beard. I don't, I'll look at pictures. I'll let you know. I mean... This is very important. Yeah. Quote, the sentence was carried out in the Cerro de las Campanas... Campanias, probably, at 6.40 a.m. on the morning of 19 June 1867, two days after your birthday, hmm. when Maximilian, along with generals Marimon and Mia, were, was executed by a Republican firing squad. He spoke only in Spanish and gave each of his executioners a gold coin in traditional European aristocratic fashion. Hmm. Classy. Yeah. Right? <laughs> his last words were, quote, I forgive everyone, and I ask everyone to forgive me. May my blood, which is about to be spilled, end the bloodshed which has been experienced in my new motherland. Long live Mexico. Long live its independence. Whoa. Yeah. I mean, if I were to executioners, I'd be like, hey, you know what? I come know. On. I'd be like, well. <laughs> hey, guys, come on. Come on. He's saying the right things. And those are really good last words. Mine are going to be like, what does this do? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, you know, listen, uh, at least uh, I think there was a there's a very famous Mexican saying it was done by one of the famous Mexican politicians or I, I think it was Zapata. He was uh, against the Spanish and he said something like it's better to uh, to die on your feet than to beg on your knees. Uh, no, I don't agree. <laughs> <laughs> So he, he went out the Mexican way. He died on his feet. Yeah, he, uh, I mean, that's a, yeah, that's, yeah, unfortunate. <laughs> so. But I got to say, those are really good last words. Great ones. So, quote, after Maximilian's execution, his body was embalmed and displayed in Mexico <laughs> and not repa- repatriated to Austria until six months after his death. Photos of his corpse were taken. You can see them. The Austrian Admiral Wilhelm von Tegethoff was sent to Mexico aboard SMS Novara to take the late emperor's body back to Austria. Could quote, close quote, could you imagine? Hi, I'm here for the body. (laughs) (laughs) Carry on. (laughs) I was told that the ship on the way back would be free if I'm bringing back a dead body. Yeah, like, can I check this? (laughs) Can I check (laughs) We have to weigh it. Uh, Yeah, exactly. Doesn't fit in this little... uh, yeah, so, quote, after arriving in Trieste, the coffin was taken to Vienna and placed in the Imperial Crypt on 18 January 1868, close quote. So you can actually see his coffin yeah. at the Capuzina Gruft, the Imperial Crypt, and people do leave flags, Mexican flags. Yeah, yeah, I've seen the flowers. flags and uh, the flowers, and actually more than most of the others, like people really... Uh, yeah, yeah. Because I used to think it was it was royalists that right. would leave it, but then I think, especially the fact that he you know, passed laws for the native population. I think he, there was a sense of this guy was trying. I mean, again, you shouldn't have foreign occupation of a country, blah, blah, blah. But I think that it, um, yeah, I don't think he was a bad dude. 
I mean, by all accounts, it looks like his intention was, you know, my brother gets to rule something. Let me rule something, but I'm going to be nice. I want to make yeah. everyone to like I'm not going to be like Francis. <laughs> and it's like, eh, but, you know, sometimes the way you're sent over and for the reasons you're sent over yeah. are the reasons people remember you. No. And then, I mean, who knows? Maybe if it was a longer time, he would have been incredibly corrupt. I mean, you don't yeah, know. Yeah. And monarchies are kind of not in style anymore. Was it absolute power corrupts? Absolutely. So... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't want that. It just seems like a lot of work. Um, so let's talk quickly about his wife, Charlotte Carlotta. Yeah. Um, so she's still... She wasn't there while he was executed. <laughs> yeah, she's like, you better stay, coward. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> you started this, you finish it. Uh, I'll, I'll bring you back some, uh, <laughs> some croissants. <laughs> I'll bring you a croissant. So I talked about her briefly in the CC series, but she ended up having a nervous breakdown in the Vatican. What? Yeah. I was like, drama, love it. Well, maybe she's speaking in tongues. Maybe she's speaking Latin. Yeah. <laughs> no, she uh, tried to talk to the Pope. He said no. And then I guess she just had a complete nervous breakdown. So she was sent to an institution in Belgium and she never found out what happened to Max. And she passed away in 1927. In Belgium? Mm-hmm. So, wow. Yeah. I had thought she had been in Trieste, but apparently they say Belgium, so... But she but, just had a complete nervous breakdown, and I think she just... Uh, but she was Portuguese. No, no, she was Belgian. But she was Belgian, right, right? Yeah, her dad was the... Right, right. That Leopold, man. yes. Yeah. I don't know why... Oh, no, the, I'm confusing with the previous love of his life. The Brazilian and then the Serbian. Okay. Okay, well, I got a Portuguese language, right. is the language of Brazil. <laughs> I got a language, right? So let's quickly talk about his heirs. Because remember, they were unable to have children. Mm-hmm. So there was that one kid that they adopted and then deported the mother the, the american mother the yeah. american mother so his name's agustin so we'll talk quickly about him so he was sent back to the states to be with his parents so um his parents then took him to england and then back to the states they settled in dc and then he graduated from georgetown university ah. he renounced his claim to the mexican throne which i think is funny because they're like well, you didn't have any claim on it but he's like you know what i don't want it. sour grapes i don't want it anyway <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I I renounce my claims to the to the Mexican throne. Yeah, you know what? I renounce my Chanel <laughs> heritage. Um, so he goes back to Mexico. Actually, quote: He then served as an officer in the Mexican army, but in 1890, after publishing articles critical of President. Porfirio Diaz, different oh, one. Yeah. He was arrested on charges of sedition and sentenced to 14 months of imprisonment. After release from prison, Agustin was sent into exile where he had two severe nervous breakdowns that resulted in his believing that he would be assassinated. Eventually, he returned to Georgetown University as a professor of the Spanish and French languages. <laughs> Could you imagine this is your, pres- your professor? <laughs> So for some years before his marriage, I think he got married twice, Agustin lived at a monastery near Washington, D.C., where he worked as a translator. He was married twice and then died on the 3rd of March, 1925, in Washington, D.C., after following a serious nervous and physical breakdown. He was buried at the Church of St. John the Evangelist in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, alongside his paternal grandmother, Empress Ana Maria of Mexico. So you, in Philadelphia, have an empress buried at a church. Really? Yeah. Don't say anything bad about Philadelphia. Keep it together. Uh, it's very difficult. <laughs> Good. So, that's a funny Do we time. have any listeners in Philadelphia? Not anymore. <laughs> well, can you black out uh, like, where the podcast can be available? What do you mean? 
just not have it available in Philadelphia. We're going to Philadelphia probably this summer, and I'm going to make you fall in love with it like you fell in love with Boston. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I was so mad. I was like, I wanted to hate this place. And Boston's Boston delightful. <laughs> we took a we took a boat from the airport to our hotel. I mean, it's amazing. I'm like going to Fenway Park. Okay, this is going to be great. I'm like, wow, this is a nice stadium. <laughs> Clam chowder. <laughs> we had an amazing time in Boston. That's a horrible hat. They would tell me. That was my yeah, because you wore your Yankees hat in Boston. Well, I got to represent the team. I got to represent the team. All right, so... There is also talk about another possible heir, an actual child of mm-hmm. Max. So, quote, one biographer claims that Maximilian took a mistress in Mexico. Historian Enrique Krause suggests that Maximilian was rendered sterile due to venereal disease contracted from a Brazilian woman when he spent time in the country following his dismissal as viceroy. However, another biographer contends that not only did Maximilian have a secret entryway in his residence, allowing him to discreetly have encounters with women, but that Maximilian fathered a child by a Mexican woman in... Cuernavaca. Cuernavaca. I was there. Oh, were you? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Did you father a child <laughs> no, no, with a no. Mexican woman? <laughs> well, Cuernavaca is, uh, I think, Tessutlan. Oh. Yeah, it's very nice. Really have to go to Mexico. So, um, I guess the woman's name was Concepcion Sedano y Leguizano, who died shortly after Maximilian's execution. Unacknowledged as the emperor's offspring, the boy was allegedly taken to Paris and educated with funds by a Mexican expatriate there. During World War I, he was living in Spain, where he was recruited by German intelligence. He is arrested as a traitor by the French and executed by firing squad in 1917. According to the biographer's account, citing no sources in his publication, the charge read out at his education began, quote, Sedano, son of Emperor Maximilian of Mexico. Wow. End quote. So... How many people died by firing squad? I can tell you on good authority that I had no family members who died of firing squad. I cannot tell you the same thing. (laughs) Your face. (laughs) So, so, but then what happens? That's amazing. Okay. That's amazing. No, no. That took a turn. All right, let's let's go somewhere else. Well, that was pretty much the end. <laughs> what a note to end on. That was incredible. Uh, Awkward. I can't even script that. Okay, that was fantastic. All right. Anyway, so that's the end of Maximilian, the short-lived emperor of Mexico, where he reigned for three years, I believe. I mean, tragedy. The whole thing. I mean, his wife... He sounds a little, a little bit like a bitch, but she ends up in an institution, broken. His possible two sons have problems. Well, the way I look at it is this: Max was trained to be to lead, right? He was trained in how many? He spoke five languages. Mm-hmm. He he excelled at, by all measures. He was apparently a better student than Franz Josef. He right. was a better athlete than Franz Josef, and he basically was like, well, I'll. I'll take my own country kind of thing. And I guess that's when you get overly ambitious. Yeah. Um, that, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sure he was fit to lead, but sometimes people don't want you. Well, no. I mean, also, I mean, the, just the cultural differences of Mexicans and Austrians. Yeah. I mean, the commonalities, there, there are none. Uh, yeah. I mean, well, Catholic. Okay. That's yeah. about it. Very different. But even then, he shows up and he's like, like nah, yeah, I don't want to deal it, with yeah. the Pope. Well, I guess, I mean... Yeah, it's hard to say because if he had taken, like, if he had towed the line with the French and, you know, and 
the Pope, then he would have been seen as a tyrant. You yeah. know, like I don't, I don't think there was any middle ground. And I think he, because he was such a liberal and especially in that, in Europe at that time, there were a lot of liberal ideas. And eventually we'll talk about Franz Josef's son, also a damn hippie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was on vogue to have this type of thought process. So yeah, it's just wild. No, motivations. I mean, it's funny because the motivations of, of humans are pretty much the same, regardless whether you're royal or not. Sometimes you, you, you feel like, oh, no, I can do better or I'll show them. What or, happens if anybody tells us we can't do anything? Oh, it's like, no, no, I'll show you. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, we run on spite. Oh, the things I do out of spite. Oh, is... 100%. It's how I get you to buy me presents. I literally, I'm like, well, so-and-so got this really nice person. Oh, oh yeah? Yeah, I'll show you. I'll get you the nice person. Yeah, it's great. It's amazing. You see, great, sorry, great power comes great responsibility, so I don't use it that often. <laughs> well, no, no. You think I'm that easily manipulated? Oh my God, you're the most it. easily manipulated person because you love me. Yeah, exactly, because <laughs> I love you so much. That's uh... <laughs> anyway. Well, I guess that's about it. So next week we're going to do an artist. I believe we're going to do Gustav Klimt. Ah. And then we're going to take a little tiny break for a week. And I'm, we might do a special episode where I talk at you about that Lindsay Lohan film that's coming out on Netflix. You talk at me. Talk at, I'll tell you the plot. Because we do have a good time talking about films. I'll watch it and then I'll tell you. Remember that one? What was the one that we saw being filmed in New York when we were getting our engagement pictures with What's-Her-Face um, from that 70s show? Oh. Uh, Mila Kunis. Oh, that one. <laughs> I was thinking the redhead. <laughs> oh, were you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to unlock this thing. <laughs> I'm doing five different things. Oh. Welcome to my life. No, uh, Mila Kunis was filming that film when we were doing our engagement pictures. Yeah. And then it came out on, I think it was Netflix. I'm laughing because <laughs> Tova's words exactly were this. Hey, that lady looks like a really tired Mila Kunis. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, oh, no, that it was is, Mila yeah. Kunis. <laughs> it was. And she was, she was in yoga outfit. And then I saw the preview for the film and I was like, oh, this looks kind of fun. Yeah. And then it was crazy. It was like, there was a school shooting. There was a rape. It was, I mean, it was a good, good movie, but it was not what I expected. Yeah. I thought it was going to be a lifetime film. And then I went and told you all about it and you were really hooked on the story. So that's what I'll do next time. Okay. You're going to talk at me. I'll talk at you. So yeah, I think that's about it. Uh... If you have any requests for people for us to cover, just let us know, I guess, on Instagram or even on Facebook. And uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. Again, you can look at Frau Batsby Instagram for pictures. Do you want to add anything here, X? No, this was this was uh, one of my favorite topics. Yeah, and, this was really uh, fun. Yeah, no, we, I think we're hitting our stride now. And uh, between Untervega and, uh, and Max, I think, uh, yeah, let's see what the next one's. Klimt. Yeah, Klimt. But I thought we we're going to have uh, the, the lady that rhymes with... Uh, Alma Mahler. <laughs> yes. I'm like, it's pronounced Alma Mater. Yes. Um, Alma Mahler. She's going to be in a couple of weeks because I got to do a lot of research because I got to read a, a book about her. But she's already pretty fascinating. All right. She's been requested a lot. So, yeah, that'll be probably mid end March. Okay. All right. So, I hope everybody has a great week, weekend coming up, and we'll see you guys soon. Just we'll see bye-bye. you later. Bye. bye.